care. Hey, listen, three goals for this morning. I just want you to know uh, what I hope to accomplish this morning. That way, when you hear these, uh, if you're not all that interested in them, uh, you can roll out quietly. Uh, I'm just... I'm just joking. I want you to stick around. Hey, uh, number one, I want to encourage us as a people of God uh, to work hard and to rest well. I want to encourage us as a people of God to work hard and to rest well. Secondly, I want uh, to share with you an unexpected or unlikely way to show compassion. An unexpected or an unlikely way that we, uh, as the people of God, can show uh, compassion. And then thirdly, and uh, most importantly, I want to remind you that uh, everything that we do uh, depends on Jesus. Um, everything that we do depends on Jesus. Those three ideas uh, may seem like they are not connected, uh, but I believe that Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30, uh, teaches us those three things. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me uh, to Mark chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 30. Uh, this story might be familiar to some of you. It's the feeding of the 5,000. It is the only other story uh, other than uh, the resurrection that is told in all four of the Gospels. And so this may be a story that you heard uh, growing up. If you uh, were a part of a church as a little kid, maybe you saw a flannel graph. Uh, with depicting this story. Uh, this might be familiar to some of you, but it's told in the Gospel of Mark beginning in verse 30. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me there. Uh, scripture reads in Mark chapter 6, verse 30, that the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Uh, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by uh, themselves. The first thing that we see in this passage is a, a principle that as followers of Jesus, we work hard and we rest well. We work hard and we rest well. Earlier in Mark chapter 6, the, gospel, or the disciples had been sent out by Jesus in groups of two. Jesus had called them, he had equipped them, and he sent them out uh, to minister. Remember last week we told the story about John the Baptist? Here in the, uh, Mark 6.30, the disciples return and they report to Jesus uh, what had taken place. Jesus listens to their report, verse 30, and then he says to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. So the call was for the disciples uh, to work hard, uh, to go out, to minister, uh, to come back, and to rest. I know I love this because I, I think for us in our suburban culture, there more often than not is a movement uh, toward activity and away from rest. Right? More often than not, we're a people who fill our calendars with stuff, uh, with things to do, and the idea of us uh, pulling back and being still uh, can be a bit foreign to us. Uh, here we're taught by Jesus and his disciples a principle, though, of working hard uh, and resting. Uh, we see this modeled in the life of Christ. We see it modeled in the lives of the disciples. Uh, Jesus did not tell his uh, disciples that you will rest uh, one day when you're buried in the ground. 
Like one day when you die, you'll have all of eternity to rest. But while you're here, you're going to work hard. Right? Jesus did not say to his uh, disciples that it's better to burn out than flame out. Right? You want to work hard. Pedal to the metal. Don't stop. Keep moving. Uh, no, he told his disciples when they worked hard and they returned, okay, now it's time to shut it down. And scripture says that he encouraged his disciples to go to a desolate place, a place away from the activity of the world, a place where they could be still, a place where they could be quiet. Uh, and yet, uh, for us, that uh, can be very difficult. Uh, we are a people of high achievers. Right? We busy our schedule. There's things that uh, we want to accomplish. There's things that we want uh, to get done. And so more often than not, our temptation as a people of God is not laziness. It's not lethargy. Uh, it's, it's work in activity and full calendars. We celebrate this as a people. Do you ever notice how we celebrate busyness? Right? If you ask someone how they are doing and they tell you, and I'm just so busy. We go, oh man, they are important. Right? Their calendar is full. I, I do that. I wear busyness as a badge of honor. Right? Because pastors supposedly only work one day of the week. And so I make sure if someone asks me on a Wednesday, how are you doing? I do not tell them, well, I'm just looking forward to that one day that I work. No, I tell them I'm busy. Man, I'm just, it's just been a busy week. There's just so much to do. It's like, look out, important person coming through. I'm busy. I got lots of activity going on in my life. I am a busy, important person. Now, scripture is clear that there are times uh, when we work. We work hard. Right? We work hard to the glory of God. We're not a, a lazy people. Scripture teaches us to work, but it also uh, reminds us that there is a time uh, to hit the pause button. There is a time uh, to be still. Author Daniel Aiken, in his commentary on the book of Mark, uh, points out five observations uh, from just these couple of verses. Uh, the first one that he points out is that there is a time uh, to work. Right? Laziness has no place uh, in the Christian life. We, we are not called to be a lazy people. We're called... Uh, to work hard, right? And so that should mark our uh, lives. But we're also taught that we uh, are called uh, to rest. And so there should be a time of rest. There should be uh, a day, there should be moments where we pull back and we don't seek to produce or accomplish, right? And, and instead, we seek to be still, uh, to be quiet, uh, and to listen, uh, unfortunately, oftentimes, this can be uh, a challenge, even within the local church. Um, churches sometimes have a reputation of, of pouring things onto the plates of the people who call that place home. Right? We can fill up calendars with uh, the best of them. There is a little saying that goes like this, Mary had a little lamb, t'was given her to keep. But then it joined the local church and died for lack of sleep. Right? That's, like we don't want to drive people towards so much activity 
and busyness that we do not have opportunities to be still and to be quiet and uh, to listen. The third thing that Aiken points out in this passage is that rest is oftentimes best with, when accompanied both by solitude and companionship. It's interesting that when the disciples went away, they went away together. Right? They went away with Jesus. And I think oftentimes in our lives when we think about uh, getting away, we think of removing ourselves as individuals uh, from the world around us because we just we want to spend time by ourselves. We want to spend time uh, to listen. But oftentimes the voice that we listen to is just our own. Right? And so we don't have godly voices that surround us uh, speaking truth into our lives. Uh, here, though, when Jesus uh, removed himself from the busyness of, of the world, from all the activity, he went away uh, with the disciples. They were together. They provided companionship uh, for one another. Uh, the first thing that, or the fourth thing that we notice from uh, this passage is that rest is for a specific period of time. Uh, rest is for a specific period of time. So it's not for um, like your 20s. <laughs> like you can't, you can't go, that was a decade of rest, right? I just was kind of stepping back from the activity and from the busyness and being still. Rest is for a specific a period of time where we pause and we listen, but then we press back uh, into our work. Fifth observation uh, is that we should prepare uh, for interruptions. Uh, we should prepare for interruptions. If the expectation is that we will remove ourselves from the busyness of the world and we will hear no other voices, we will never be interrupted by a phone call or by a text message or by other people who need something from us, um, that is probably unrealistic. And it's probably unrealistic because there are oftentimes people uh, who vie for our time and for our attention. This is what Jesus experienced here in Mark chapter 6 and verse 33. It says, Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them uh, many things. So even as Jesus and the disciples are pushing off the shore uh, to get away from the crowds, the crowds notice them. Right? They see where he's going, and, and they go uh, to interrupt him. They go to kind of cut off Jesus and his disciples. And so even though they're getting away, when they land, they find before them a great crowd. It's like determining, I'm going to go on vacation for a while. Uh, I'm going to get away from uh, the kids. I'm going to get away from the busyness. And then you land the plane, and you walk out, and there is your family and friends and everyone from work waiting for you. And you're thinking to yourself, no, I... I, I wanted to get away from you. Like I was, I was leaving you for a period of time to, to be still and to rest and to be quiet. And here you are <laughs> following me. And in many ways, Jesus experienced this in his life and in his ministry. There were times when Jesus went uh, to get away from uh, the crowds, and yet here we find that the crowds follow him. And I love how Jesus uh, responded it says in verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them 
many things. I laughed when I read this. I thought if this was me, the text would read, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he was filled with irritation because they were interrupting his alone time. And I would be like, why are you following me? Like, why are you chasing after me? I want to be alone. I want to be by myself. And yet Jesus shows compassion. Sometimes interruptions in life are opportunities in life. Right? Sometimes our interruptions in life are opportunities in life. Sometimes the, the moments when our kids chase us down when we're just trying to get away is actually an opportunity. Sometimes when a spouse interrupts us while we're spending time alone, it's not just an interruption, it's an opportunity. Uh, sometimes when we see someone when we're out by ourselves reading a book or drinking a cup of coffee and they interrupt us and begin to have a conversation with us, uh, maybe that isn't just an interruption. Maybe that actually is an opportunity. When Jesus saw the crowds, he did not see them as an interruption. He saw them as an opportunity. Scripture says that he was filled uh, with compassion. That word that's used here for compassion is only used of the compassion of Christ, and it's used uh, as a strong word um, that, that means the, the feeling that one has in their stomach. Right? It, it has this idea of, of tender emotions or tender mercy, or, or sympathetic emotions. The, Jesus felt something in his gut when he saw the crowds. The scripture says that he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And oftentimes when we think about this idea of sheep without a shepherd, we think of sheep uh, being weak, right? The kind of the, the sheep uh, needing something, and sheep are, they, they are weak, they they do need something. But the picture here that we have uh, in this particular passage, when it talks about this metaphor, especially in Jewish literature, it's not only talking about the idea of a shepherd helping uh, the, the weak sheep. Um, instead, it can be used, and oftentimes it's used as a term of, of leadership, that this idea of a shepherd uh, is a leader. We see this in the life of Moses in the Old Testament, when it talks about Moses uh, leading the people or shepherding the people. Uh, sometimes this word can be used as a military figure like Joshua. In Numbers chapter 27, verse 17, it reads, Who shall go out before them and come in before them? Who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd? And so when Jesus sees the people on the shore um, and, and he, he feels compassion for them, he feels compassion for them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. And it's not just that the people were weak. Uh, it was the fact that they lacked a leader. They, they lacked leadership. They had no one who was, who was guiding them through life, who was their, uh, their, their true north, who was showing them the way. So Jesus feels compassion for them, um, and he responds to that compassion by doing what? Well, he responds to that compassion uh, by leading them or by teaching them. Right? That's what the text says, is that Jesus felt a compassion for the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them uh, many things. So when Jesus felt for the people, he responded to them by teaching them what was true and right. He began uh, to lead the people. 
Uh, Jesus was the greatest leader uh, that ever walked the face of the earth. Now, now he was not only a leader, uh, and, and maybe he wasn't primarily there to be a forerunner to John Maxwell, uh, but, but Jesus did lead the people. He felt compassion, and so he wanted to press into their lives uh, to show them the way. I think one of the ways that we can show compassion as a church is by leading well. Right? Sometimes when we think of compassion, uh, we think of compassion as just this feeling that we have in our gut, like we feel sorry for someone. Uh, more often than not, we feel sorry for someone who may be in a difficult situation or hard up or, or their lives have taken an unexpected turn. And so we feel for them. And it's like, well, we just want to help only meet a practical need for them. And that's how we show compassion. But I, I think Scripture teaches us that it's more than that, that part of showing compassion is, is leading and teaching, not just giving people a hand out, but, but a hand up, like helping them, teaching them, uh, coming alongside of them. I wonder, Ren, are there opportunities that we have as a church body uh, to show uh, this kind of compassion? Right, to show compassion for people by leading others well. Right, to show compassion for people by teaching them uh, what is true, by pointing them to Jesus. Maybe that means a relationship where we come alongside a, a student from, from the Y and we enter into a, a mentoring, mentoring relationship with someone. Uh, for students, maybe that looks like at school, we look around for people uh, that we can help, that we can bring along, that we can pour into. Maybe we teach them something that they don't know or that they don't uh, understand. We help open their eyes to see something uh, that they don't get. Uh, maybe that means coming alongside someone like a hope in Main Street Mission and going, hey, I want to I wanna help. I, I, feel, I feel compassion for the community. And one of the ways that I want to help is by helping lead and teaching others, helping uh, bring folks up and bring them Along, I think one of the ways that Jesus showed compassion is that he led. Jesus was the greatest leader uh, ever to walk uh, the face of the earth. There's more that's taking place here, though. I think that idea of, of showing compassion through leadership and, and having a healthy work-rest rhythm in life, I think those are, those are helpful. We see those in the text, but I don't think it's the main part of the text. I think we read kind of the big idea beginning in verse 35. Verse 35 reads, and when it grew late, his disciples uh, came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? So we read about the problem in the passage. What's the problem? The problem is that it's late, that the disciples and Jesus and the crowd is in a desolate place, right? They can't go to the fast food restaurant. There's not a Taco Bell. There's no Bojangles that's open late, right? There's no place around the people uh, to eat. And Jesus has been teaching the people. And he didn't provide box lunches for them. So they're hungry. And this is, this is, they're human beings, right? 
They're listening to the teaching, and they're hungry. And so the disciples point out the problem to Jesus. It's late. We're in the middle of nowhere. It's a desolate place. And these people need to eat. And so they suggest to Jesus what is a very natural suggestion. Send them away. Get them something to eat. Right? Leave. Go. It's like, pretend for a moment that I go three hours this morning. I, we work through lunch. Because I got a lot of information. I just want to, and it's like two o'clock. It's like three o'clock and you're hungry. And I have like three mints in my left pocket and that's it. And you want something to eat. You need something to eat. You're tired. You're irritable. I've lost your attention. I see it in your faces. You're thinking about it already. You're like, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go to eat? I know you're thinking it. You're going to run to the restaurants. Happens every Sunday, right? Well, it happened then too. Jesus is teaching. He's been teaching a while. And they're hungry. So the disciples tell Jesus, send them away. Like, get them something to eat. It's a great solution. And I love how Jesus responds in verse 37. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. <laughs> I love it. Come on, Jesus. Like, send them away so they can get something to eat. And Jesus goes, you, you get them something to eat. <laughs> and so they respond to Jesus and say, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Um, 200 denarii worth of bread was like eight months wage. Right? Eight months wage. And so they're telling Jesus, come on. Seriously? Like, you, like eight months wage. We're just going to go out to Panera Bread and, and we're going to spend thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, eight, eight months salary, and bring it back and feed everyone. Sure, Jesus, that sounds like a great idea. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have I been like the disciples. I would have been like, Jesus, it's late. We don't have any food. Send the people away. Like, do something about it. And then when Jesus said to me or to them, no, you do something about it, my first response would be like, well, what, what do you want me to do? Like, what am I supposed to do? How are we going to feed all of these people? So the, the problem is real. We read in the text that there are 5,000 men, which means they probably had uh, their families with them. That 5,000 was probably 7,000 or 8,000 or maybe 9,000. We don't know for sure, but there were a lot of people. And, um, and the problem was big, right? The problem was big, and the solution was not easy. It wasn't evident. It wasn't right in front of them. And I think this is often the case in our lives too, right? right we have problems that are big. Right? They're big problems. And we don't have solutions to them. Right? We, we can't figure it out. We're not, we're not smart enough to fix what is broken. Right? We, we can't perform the miracles that it would require to do something about it. Right? But we learn here that this is how uh, Jesus oftentimes operates. He, he responds to this impossible situation by asking the disciples to do the impossible. He says in verse 38, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass, and they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. So Jesus is like, let's gather up the food. 
Right? We have thousands and thousands of people here, at least 5,000 men, families. Go see what we have. And they come back, five loaves and two fishes. And they're probably thinking, what in the world are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with five loaves and two fishes and thousands of people? And so Jesus uh, commands them to sit down in groups on the green grass. He's like, there's thousands of people here. Let's get in groups of hundreds. Let's get in groups of fifties. Let's uh, divide and conquer. It says in verse 41, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. Verse 43 says, And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Isn't that amazing? One of the things that I love about Scripture is that I think when we read a story like this, uh, there are a handful of lessons that we can learn. There's a, there's a handful of practical things that we can draw from the text and go, hey, I, I see this here. Um, this is true for us. This is practical for my life. Like when we look early in the story and, and we see that work-rest rhythm, uh, we can go, hey, we see that in other places in the Bible. Uh, we can study the Sabbath. We see that there are times as followers of Christ to pull back and to be still. Like that's true. Work hard and rest. However, a work hard and rest, I don't believe, is the main point of this story. If it's true, it's there, we see it in other places in Scripture, but I don't believe that's the main point of this story. Uh, we can look at how Jesus showed compassion uh, to the people, and we can talk about compassionate leadership. And we can say that one of the ways that we can show compassion is by leading and by teaching. And that's true. Right? I, think, I, I think we see it in the text. I think we can read that other places in Scripture. Uh, we can look at how Jesus operated as a leader with the crowds. How he took a group of people and said, okay, I want you folks to gather up. Okay, we're going to feed you. And I, and I want you folks, I want you folks to, to gather up and we're going to feed you. And I want you folks over here, I want you to gather up and we're going to feed you. I mean, there's some leadership principles that we learn uh, from the passage and how we should operate as a people. As you grow larger, you got to get smaller, Right? We can make an argument for that. That's there in the text, but I don't think uh, it is the main point. I think the main point of verses 38 uh, through 44, and really the main point in Scripture, is that everything depends on Jesus. Right? Everything uh, depends on Jesus. Uh, Jesus uh, is the great leader. Right? Jesus is the great leader. Jesus led his disciples Jesus led uh, the crowds. Jesus led the light situation. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus led in feeding the 5,000 and feeding uh, the crowds. Everything uh, depended upon Jesus. And there are times in Scripture where we read that Jesus leads by meeting very practical needs. Right? Jesus feeds people who are hungry. That's a, a practical need. As followers of Christ, we follow suit. There are times in life when we meet 
practical needs because they're needs because people are hungry and they should be fed. And so we should help feed them if we have the means and the ability. Right? Jesus meets practical needs, but Jesus also meets spiritual needs. Right? He meets spiritual needs, and these are uh, the greater needs. Uh, scripture says, for what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? Right? So Jesus doesn't only meet physical or practical needs. Jesus also meets spiritual needs. Jesus, though, is the one who is leading. In this story, Jesus is the one who is multiplying. Jesus is the one who is multiplying. The, the point of the story isn't just, hey, if you bring what little you have to the table, that Jesus will do his part and multiply it. Um, it's not, if you can just meet Jesus so far, um, he'll fill in the gaps for you and take you where you need uh, to go. It, it's not a relationship uh, that works like that. In fact, the loaves and the fishes, in some ways, were inconsequential to the story. And what I mean by that is if they looked around and all they could find was a few breadcrumbs and a minnow, it would have been enough. Right? It would have been enough. Jesus, God the Father, created the world out of nothing. Right, so Jesus wasn't looking around thinking to himself, I, I need to find something for me to do my trick. Right, I'm going to do something great, but I need something from the audience. I need to find some bread. I need to find a couple fish. And as long as I can find that, uh, then I'll, I'll make this miracle take place. That's not what the story is about. Right, Jesus can do something out of nothing. Jesus uh, multiplies uh, all of the time. I love what Eliz author Eliz Elizabeth Elliot uh, said. She wrote, Realizing that nothing I have, uh, nothing I am, will be refused on the part of Christ, I simply give it to him as the little boy gave Jesus his five loaves and two fishes. With the same feeling of the disciples when they said, What is the good of that for such a crowd? Naturally, in almost anything I offer to Christ, my reaction would be, What is the good of that? Uh, the point is, though, that the use he makes of it is his blessing. Right? The, the use that he makes of it is his blessing. So it's not so much ab about what we can bring to Jesus and have Jesus multiply. It's just the fact that, that Jesus uh, can, can make something out of nothing. And I'll tell you why um, I believe that is really good news for you and for me. See, I think we operate more often than not with a mindset that says, man, I have so little uh, to give uh, to God. Like, I don't, I don't bring a lot to the table. Like, I don't have a ton uh, to offer. And the way that oftentimes we um, respond to that as the church is we say, no, 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 no. You have a lot more than you think you do. Or you, have a, you have a lot more than you, you have. You have more gifts than you can even imagine. Um, you, you can accomplish more uh, than you really think you can accomplish. In your mind, uh, you are limited. But truth be told, uh, you have no limitations. You can do more than you think you can do. Um, I don't think um, that that is the best news. I don't think that's the best news. Um, I, I think what's really good news is when we see 
our limitations. Like when we come with our, our slice of bread and our little minnow, and we go, this is all I got. And God goes, okay. That's fine. It's not that you have more than you think you have, or you can do more than you think you can do. It's that, it's that God looks at our limitations, and, uh, and he, he doesn't see them as like, well, I, I can't use that. There's nothing I can do about that. Instead, it's just the opposite. Maybe our limitations in life, or maybe our shortcomings are just that. They're limitations, and they're shortcomings. And God goes, so what? I'll still use you. Watch what I can do. I think that's what he's doing here when he, when he multiplies the loaves and the fishes. He's like, that's fine. Five loaves, two fishes, that's more than enough. I'll take it, I'll use it. He does that with his people all the time. It's really about him. Jesus uh, leads, Jesus multiplies, and Jesus satisfies. I love verse 42. And they all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. I think this is every parent's dream after dinner. <laughs> they all ate and were satisfied. And oftentimes it's, and some of them ate, and then they snacked. But not here. Right? They all ate and were satisfied. Right? Isn't that the thing that you long for? Isn't it what I long for? We long to be satisfied. We long to be satisfied. And right? so we sing songs about it. I can't get no, right? I can't get no satisfaction. And I try, and I try, and I try. Man, it's what we long for. It's what we want. And it's what Jesus gives. Right? He did it for the crowd some 2,000 years ago. He does it uh, for you and for me. And not just with physical hunger. He does it with our spiritual longing and our spiritual hunger. He does it when we come face-to-face -face with uh, disappointments in life, with angst because we want something more that we haven't quite experienced or that we don't have. And he invites us, hey, I want you to come to me and be satisfied. I want you to experience me and be satisfied. I want you to walk with me and be satisfied. Mark chapter 6 is really uh, a passage about Jesus. Yes, we can look at it and we can learn that uh, we should work hard and rest well, and we should. We can learn something unexpected about how to show compassion, uh, leading well and teaching others. Uh, but more than that, we're reminded that everything Everything in life uh, depends on Jesus. He leads, uh, he multiplies, and he satisfies. I pray that you would be satisfied uh, with all that he is today. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for your grace and for your goodness to us. Thank you that you uh, satisfy the deepest longings uh, in our soul. Thank you, Lord, that, uh, that Jesus was one who showed compassion uh, to the masses, and he, and he still shows compassion to us today. He sees us in our need, in our shortcomings, and uh, it does not hinder uh, the goodness of his work. It doesn't hold uh, you back. 
Lord, you're able to accomplish abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. And so this morning, we give you thanks for that. Lord, I pray that you'd stir in our hearts and affection for you. I pray that you would uh, be our good today. Help us to find satisfaction in the only place that it can be found. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.